and welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism podcast. My name is Christy Mayer and I'm joined by Andy Bannister this lovely afternoon. Andy, how are you doing? I am doing remarkably well, Christy. The sun is shining in Scotland. It happens one day a year. Um, so I'm in, <laughs> on top of the world. Lovely, on top of the world. I'm glad to hear that, Andy. What have you been up to today? Uh, well, I'm packing boxes because we have a house move coming up. So I'm all surrounded by boxes and my uh, and my, my study shelves are bare and I've always put my back out. So I'm glad I'm sitting down oh. doing podcasts. <laughs> well, I'm excited about your move anyway. But um, apart from Andy, we're also joined by the, the wonderful Jackie White. Jackie, it's a, it's a joy to meet you. Well, again, we, uh, we tried recording this a little while ago, didn't we? It didn't quite work. So it's a joy to see you again. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. The sun's been shining every single day here, 365 days a year. It just sometimes we don't see it, but it's always here. <laughs> it's, I was going to say, Jackie, I was in I was in Belfast this last weekend, so I uh, <laughs> I happen to know that's not strictly true. Um, although it is a wonderful city in all ways. <laughs> yeah, so good. Thank you, Christy. Good. Okay, I'm glad. Um, Jackie, it's, it's a real honour actually for us to be able to speak with you today because um, you're, you're a chaplain, aren't you, for a, it's an adults and children's hospice that's based in Northern Ireland. Yeah, yes, um, there, we have, we're uh, very blessed to have a number of hospices in the country. Um, this is Northern Ireland Hospice and Northern Ireland Children's Hospice, which are local hospices. Um, so yeah, we have Marie Curie as well, and we have Macmillan uh, support. And actually, there's a, a lot of crossover that are working together across those hospices. But yeah, I've been uh, working part-time as the hospice chaplain alongside one of my colleagues for two years, and then the last six months I've gone full-time after he retired. Mm. I was just going to say, Jackie, that's, that's really hard and heavy and um, heavy work with a great responsibility. We'd love to hear kind of what does your work look like just day to day? What's the day in the life of Jackie White as a chaplain look like? Yeah, yeah I mean, there's no doubt that the work is um, a, a, a huge responsibility, but there's a lot of joy, an awful lot of joy and peace in both the children's hospice and the, the adults' hospice, children's hospice is slightly different than adults in that it's mostly children who are life-limited, not necessarily at end of life. And so um, it's a lot of respite care, uh, allowing their parents to have some respite, allowing them to have some respite as well, a lot of therapeutic support. Um, so for children's hospice, I, I sit on the floor and read stories and get my face painted by kids who are struggling to communicate in many other ways. Um, I also have the lovely opportunity of speaking to their parents and uh, in some cases where maybe there's some um, antenatal um, palliative care babies with us, um, I, I, get, I get to do some of the religious support for them, like um, maybe a naming ceremony or... Uh, you know, praying for a family and helping, just giving mum and dad a good listening ear and uh, and praying with them. So children's is, is one afternoon a week. The rest of my time is really spent at adults. It means I'm involved in nearly every aspect of uh, the hospice life. And um, that is supporting patients face-to-face, supporting families, supporting staff um, through the pandemic. There's been an awful lot of, um, I would say there's been an increase in the support we give the staff. Um, and an awful lot of staff would come to us for prayer. Um, we, we actually write a prayer, a daily prayer diary that goes out to the whole staff. And uh, quite often they will submit prayer requests to us for that. Um, there's also uh, lovely opportunities to be involved in teaching. Uh, there's a thing called Pause to Reflect, where we take um, one day a month and just reflect on the patients who have died in that month and uh, the work that we've done with them. But actually, um, 
more than 65% of our patients would be discharged from hospice. They don't come here necessarily to die. They are all, are all in palliative care. They are all terminal. Um, but we may see a patient three or four times in their journey um, and can build up a wee bit of a relationship with them. Um, and I, I also get sent out into the community as well to see some patients in their homes. And uh, mm. and that, that would be particularly, that, those patients in their homes would be particularly maybe struggling with some religious issues, some spiritual issues that our nurses feel um, I, as a chaplain can give them some support with. Mm. I'm, I'm very well accepted and um, I think appreciated. I don't mean me personally. I mean chaplaincy is very much appreciated in in this hospice, as I imagine most hospices. Um, all of our consultants will give us referrals, and, and in fact, they include us in, in in every patient's journey. And it's only if a patient specifically doesn't want us that we're not involved, and that's very rare for that to happen. Hmm. I mean, I I guess it's a broad question um jackie but you know when often i think you know we live in a culture where people forget try and push away questions of death and dying forget about them obviously you're dealing with people who uh that ship sailed really and uh, and reality is is bearing down on them what are the, what are some of the spiritual issues that raises for people perhaps people who haven't perhaps thought about spiritual spirituality or religion now they're facing end of end of life you know are there some sort of themes that you've seen for sort of then things that that come up uh, for people that you can perhaps you know yeah help them I mean, think it's, around it's interesting because people ask us a, a lot of questions which we would class as spiritual but not necessarily all of them necessarily religious so so we would class a discussion around um the relationship with their family as being a spiritual issue about how they're interacting with other people um and so there's 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 really only probably four main questions that we would we would deal with and everything comes into these four questions and and one would be what is dying like um another one would be what's going to happen to my family when i die um another one would be what is the afterlife like and uh so so most most of the questions are not really specifically religious questions but there are now and again questions that will come up. I mean, I'm involved in the Alpha Course, and I think the Alpha Course teaching that uh, nearly everybody prays. I, my experience is that's right. And here, um, most people will tell us they do pray. Um, most people, quite a few people will say they don't follow an organized church or religion, um, but that they, they pray. And so part probably part and parcel of what we do is we maybe help them think about well who are they praying to and how can we direct their praying in the right direction um i um find myself often in my just as i am praying i find myself often praying for both myself and the patient and anybody else in the room for the lord's forgiveness for our sin and giving him thanks for the cross and what it means and um and and just helping all of us to focus our praying in the right direction um, in terms of specific questions, um, uh, I have been asked uh, by, by one of our patients what to expect um, in the afterlife, and and, uh, and and I've tried to learn a wee bit from, there's a, there's a great resource called Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman, and he, that book is on, the, it takes a thesis that whenever Jesus was asked a question, he rarely answered it, 
with a direct answer. He quite often gave a question, and the whole point of that was to lead the questioner to think more and to understand more. And uh, so, uh, so on that occasion, I, 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 I thought, well, what would be a good answer here? And I, I shot up a very quiet prayer, and uh, and uh, and I, I asked the question, well, what would you like the answer to your question to be? And he thought for a minute, and he said. I'd like to be welcomed into heaven with open arms. And it was an elderly man, he was in his 80s, and he was emotional with his answer. And it was a tender moment, and it gave me an opportunity to, to help him investigate a wee bit about what he meant by that, and to direct his thinking to the, what the teaching of the Bible is on that. And, uh, and we went on a journey, and that patient was with us for a while. He was then discharged home, and I had opportunity to visit him in his home as well. And... Uh, and all along that, that it was an opportunity to support him um, and particularly to pray with him along those lines. Thank you, Jackie. You also mentioned that the question of suffering just comes up um, quite quite a number of times. And uh, we've been t- talking to a few people today who, who said the same. And they happen, of course, you know, they work in emergency services. So I can just imagine that working in a hospice, you're greeted with that question, you know, even more powerfully. How do you go about responding to a question like that? how can God exist? I'm currently dying of cancer. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I'm very careful to be very sensitive and to not give a an off-pad answer. I mean, I think I have tried to think about that question myself a lot. I've preached on it. I have always avoided giving a very rote answer to that because I'm not sure there is one. And... Uh, if a if a patient is angry with the situation they're in, I I will agree with them in their anger. I'll I'll agree with them that it's not fair. I'll agree with them that there's an injustice over what they're going through. Um, I'll I'll try to direct people to consider should they turn to God or turn on God, um, and that actually even if they turn on God, that that doesn't necessarily mean that's the end, and that they they can still turn to God after having turned on him. I'll try and show examples from the scriptures of that, you know, and um, and even the deep understanding that that uh, there is in the Psalms over the angst and the um, the lament that there is. And, and I try to help patients find Psalms. We read Psalms together, where, which try to give words to patients' struggles. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I've had too many people who have who have wrestled in the hospice with the philosophical question of suffering, which therefore becomes their reason for not believing in God. There, it comes up now and again. Um, again, I'll just be very respectful, very um, very willing to listen. I think it shows if somebody is angry with God. I think it shows a good starting point. At least they believe there is a God to be angry with, and um, and. There has been a rare opportunity to do this, but if there's if there's an opportunity to show them the suffering God Himself and to direct them to how God Himself went through the suffering He went through on our behalf, then uh, then I, I you know I, I certainly try I certainly try to do that. Um, it it is interesting. A lot of people will will talk about their own suffering and then they will temper it and say. But it could be worse, and they'll give me an example uh, of how it could be of how it could be worse. You know, so um, so yeah, I think I think that we certainly must we certainly must listen to the question behind the 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 objection. My my own my 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 father died when I was twenty, and my younger brother was seventeen, and my younger brother 
told me at that point that he, he said, how could I believe in a God that allows that type of suffering? And there was a degree of my, my younger brother um, probably using that as a a reason for a slipping away from God that had started to happen before my father died. But there's no doubt there was a, a reality in his questioning. And thankfully, he did make a return to the Lord uh, later on in his life. Um, but um, he he was hurt. He was he was brokenhearted, and I think we have to we have to really care for the brokenhearted and and not just try to give an answer, but whenever we have opportunity to give an answer, I think in a winsome way, the way it's, it talks about in Peter, if we can uh, give a reason for the belief that we have, the hope that we have, um, and uh, my own personal journey into faith is one that's rooted in suffering. Um, my my parents had never crossed the door of a church until they were 39, 40, as far as I had ever known. Um, but through my mum's illness of Huntington's disease and my dad's um, uh, mental illness, uh, both of them came to faith, and uh, and then both of them died within about six or seven years. They were both they were both dead by the time I was 20. But both of them, um, and I came to faith through the change I saw in them. And um, I'm very, very thankful for it. So, so the the suffering is a, a reality. But I, I, that 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 sense that what Satan means for evil, God means for good. That that has been my personal experience, and I try my best to help folks see that. Um, one one thing happened recently when I was sharing with someone. It was actually um, not. This is not a, a hospice patient. This was someone I'd been asked to visit in hospital who had had a near-death experience and she was very aware that she was having a near-death experience. And she told me that she cried out that God would save her and not let her die. And yet she was still angry with God because somehow or other she hadn't noticed that three weeks later she was still living and she hadn't died. And simply in asking the questions, I, I went through that whole process again, of asking leading questions, she came to the realization in her answer. She said, actually, God has answered my question and I am alive. And, and I thought it was a great example of people living in the state that they have got themselves into at one point, but not being able to see beyond that, not being able to see outside of the condition that, that she had got herself into. Um, and whenever she got to see that God had answered her prayer, she was a transformed person and and uh, she was she's suffering post post-traumatic stress as a result of what she went through. But even that notif- that noticing that God had answered prayer is part of the healing process that she's going through. That, I'm really <laughs> straying off your questions, your, your answers, your questions here. No, it's fascinating. I was, I was, uh, I was sort of thinking, shall I, shall I interject? But actually the, the stories were, were fascinating. Um, I, mean, I think for me, Jackie, one, one big takeaway there is the, just the art of learning, you know, when it's, when it's right to lean in the more, you know, philosophical, theological arts, and when it's right to, to listen and to pray and to help the person sort of figure things out. One thing that interests me as well, obviously you, you talked about you, you deal with adults, but also with children. And I know many people, when it comes to sort of children and suffering, that's particularly tough. It, it's obviously tough yeah. for, the, for the parents. Yeah. You, the kids can have questions and so forth. What are, some of the, are there some of the sort of lessons and approaches you found when particularly dealing with young people and children? And stuff, perhaps yeah. helping parents go yeah. through it, but also the questions yeah. of of kids. Can some of those, you know, adults, in a sense, I would find fascinating. We know what we're supposed to say, but kids sometimes yeah. just it's un, it's unfiltered. Um, how have you yeah. found some of what you've talked about actually when it's particularly with with with, with younger patients? 
Yes, and so I have I have I have much li- more limited experience directly with children who can't converse with me over their mm-hmm. suffering. But um, uh, I, I've been supporting a family recently whose son died um, when he was in his early teenage years, and they are a, a family. They are a believing family. The son was a very strong believer, and um, they 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 are they are grieving. Grief is a big issue for them. The hope of the gospel and the hope of re, re, being reunited in the future um, in, in, in heaven with their son is a, such a comfort to that family. Mum and dad um, maybe have different ways of dealing with their grief, but they both have a strong faith and um, and they they are keen they are keen to talk about their faith they're keen to talk about their son's faith their son there's they they believe their son taught them an awful lot about their faith his simple childlike faith um, and he he was a fascinating boy he would have had nurses at the hospice pray with him um, even if he didn't know whether they had any faith or not he would ask them all to pray and um, he shared his faith all the time um, and then the the contrast to that is a teenage girl who I spoke to in the hospice, and um, she's very articulate, um, and she she put me in my place very clearly when she said to me, "Now tell me exactly what your role in the hospice is." And I told her, "I'm a chaplain, and I I support people with conversation, and if they want to, I support them with religious and spiritual support." And she looked at me and she said, "Well." My teacher in school asked me on one occasion to list my favourite subjects. And I just want you to know that RE was the one at the very bottom of the list. So, <laughs> and I thought, this, this teenage girl is telling me exactly what she thinks. But we went on to have a really good conversation. And she is a thinking girl. And this is a girl who's bedbound, who is locked in a body that's not doing what she wants it to do. But she thinks. And, and I thought, there's opportunity here for this girl. Uh, to have someone to talk to to wrestle with some of these questions and uh, I don't see her very often but I, I, I try to provide the opportunity for her to have those conversations as and when I, I can and I just, I pray all the time that the Lord will open doors and give me opportunities and then I'll have the courage to step out in faith into those opportunities and, and just see where conversations go to So, Yeah, now this might be a slightly unfair question, but I'm, I'm always, I always like unfair questions. Jackie, obviously, you, um, you know, you, this is this is a career's vocation for you, but you know, other Christians, you know, who are in other professions, may nevertheless, you know, find themselves, you know, having to deal with and minister to and, and engage with friends who are dying or have gone through bereavement. Are there things that you've learned as a as a chaplain that are helpful? That sort of skills that anybody who's a Christian can sort of pick up. Thinking, okay, the next time something bad happens, here is some advice. Because um, you're doing it all the time, but you know, many of us kind of run across it in our everyday lives. So, is there any yeah. sort of particular That's advice? A, I or think it's a very good share? question. Um, I would say, do not be frightened to go and sit with people who are suffering. Do not be frightened to talk to people. If someone is bereaved, let's say someone has lost their husband or their child, or their child, let's talk about losing a child. Um, don't feel that mentioning that child's name is the worst thing you could do. Not mentioning that child's name is the worst thing you could do. The thing that will frighten parents the most is that their child will be forgotten. The thing that will frighten a man in his 90s the most, uh, uh, that his, whose wife has died, is that his wife will be forgotten. Um, 
And so there's no conversation. They've had co- they have had tough conversations in their lives. There's probably no tough conversation that we can have. Being dismissive of their pain would be the worst thing. Um, so, for example, if, if someone has a miscarriage, um, saying something like, well, never worry, you have plenty of opportunities again, that t- totally misses the point of the loss of that particular child in that miscarriage. Um, so I would say don't come with any off-pot answers. Don't even, don't even necessarily give Bible verses. Um, they can be comforting, but they can also be a wee bit Sometimes they can be the wrong verse. Most 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 people are gracious enough to to make room for us whenever we do make a mistake. Um, but we're better to make a mistake by being there than make a mistake by staying away. Um, I think loneliness is the biggest thing, and feeling isolated is the biggest thing for people who are suffering, for people who um, are grieving. And so, yeah, include in, like include disabled people in every in everyday life if you can. Include suffering people in everyday life if you can. Listen to them. Listen to their opinions. Don't patronise them. Um, and and just just love them, just as we do everyone, you know. And and. Uh, be a good friend. Be a good listening ear. Hmm. Jackie, that's so much wisdom um, built into that is in is in all of your answers. And uh, we've kind of arrived at the, the end of the 20 minutes. It always goes so fast. Really grateful for, to you for, for, for taking the time, especially after you took the time before and the technology failed. So thank you for making the time again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. really helpful. I hope the listeners have, have, have found, it, uh, found it helpful because um, all of us, I think, are going to find times when we're, you know, call to support people who are going through this. In your case, you're doing it all the time. So once again, you know, thank you for what you do. Blessings to you. You found it helpful. Uh, and home, can I just Chris? say, I, I would, yes, if ahead. I could encourage people not to be frightened of hospices. Hosp- I think hospice work has changed dramatically over the last 30 years. It, instead of being a place where people go into to die, most people are discharged. It's more like a specialist unit where you get specialist palliative care and it's maybe for two or three weeks. That's our average stay here is two or three weeks. So so don't be frightened of hospice. If people are being invited to come to a hospice at the minute, um, re- receive the support that's being offered. And... Uh, yeah, and, and support people who are there, visit people who are there. Mm. Don't be afraid. Great. Great advice. Well, thank you again uh, for that, Jackie. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Chris, Peter, co-hosting, and to all of you listening at home or in the car or wherever you are catching a podcast, Chris and I will be back uh, in two weeks' time with another guest, another episode of Pep Talk. And uh, we hope you're ready to join us then. But for now, goodbye. Bye.